Father, we do as we gather this morning. We're overwhelmed by the love that you have shown for us. And that's our whole reason for gathering. Uh, On the basis of your action, of God the Father, you loved us. And for the love that you have for humanity, you sent your Son to die for people created in your image so that you might restore what sin had broken. And God, we praise you that we have the opportunity this morning to gather in your presence in the name of Jesus and celebrate that incredible sacrifice and the incredible work that you have done to redeem sinners to yourself. So God, we declare this morning all about you. And as we continue in worship, as we open your word and as we celebrate young families that are about to come on stage and dedicate their children to you, Father, we pray that you would receive the glory in every moment and in everything that we do this morning. That as we continue in worship, all of our hearts and all of our minds would be celebrating you for the great things that you have done. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name rejoice. So be with us, Father, as we celebrate. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm going to go ahead and have the families that are a part of our child dedication service this morning go ahead and come on stage. That's four families that will join me. And as they're making their way up, um, AJ's also going to join me on stage and um, help me with a part of this. So this is um, the parents and children, immediate families only. We've got Uh, Guys, I'll tell you, if we brought up grandparents and aunts and uncles, yeah, y'all can come up this way. Um, If we brought grandparents and aunts and uncles, we'd run out of room on the stage this morning because um, these little guys are are celebrated today, and there's lots of people here joining together to to be a part of this. So yeah, y'all come this way. Um, So I'm just going to walk through, and uh, they have self-selected their order, so uh, I'm going to walk through and tell you about each of these families, but first I'll tell you why we're here. Um, A couple of months ago, I preached a sermon as we spent a couple of months talking about why it's important that we gather and what we do when we gather. One of the topics that I chose to spend a whole Sunday on was this idea of child dedication, what the scriptural uh, warrant is or the scriptural example for bringing your children before the assembly of God's people at the church and dedicating them to the Lord. We had some good um, reflection on that in a sermon. So if you have questions about it, I'd invite you to go back to that August sermon and, and, um, and remember what was said there. But what we're doing here today is a commitment um, that, goes, that goes a couple different directions. So these parents are going to make some commitments to God and to you this morning. And I'm also going to ask you to make some commitments to the parents because child dedication um, works two ways. They dedicate their kids to the Lord and to raise them in a way that honors the Lord and to point them towards Jesus. But then you as the assembled body of Christ make a commitment to pray for them, support them, invest in these young families and invest in the parents along the way too. So AJ's going to ask us some questions here in a few moments, and they're going to have some answers, and you're going to have some answers uh, for those questions, and they're not going to be hard questions, so don't get, don't get nervous. But we'll, we'll start here. This is uh, Trisha and Will Schustrick here with um, little Dudley Liam Schustrick, and uh, uh, they're probably the newest family to the church um, up here, but um, if you haven't met Will, Trish, and Liam, uh, please do. They're an amazing family. And uh, they have uh, some grandparents here uh, this morning as well. Terry and Sabrina Gunther, Trisha's parents, are here. And they've got some some friends that that came to celebrate with them um, this morning as well. Will and Trish chose two scriptures to be read over Liam this morning. Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Trish told me this week that this Psalm 147.3 was chosen in part because of a Bible study that she did. Um, Liam's story is full of miracles. And as you get to know this family and as you get to know Liam, 
I would invite you to just hear from Will and Trish what God has done in their young family and in little Liam's life, who was born with, with so many different concerns, and God has brought them through surgery after surgery, a moment of crisis through moment of crisis, and uh, God has protected Liam's life and protected Will and Trish through it. And Trish told me that there was a point in a cardiology ICU in one of uh, Liam's recoveries that she was doing a Bible study on this verse, that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So this dedication of Liam this morning is a celebration of what God has already done in this young family and this miraculous uh, little life. And next to, next to the shoestricks here is Harrison and Kate Kranzline, and um, little uh, Maxwell Wade Kranzline is coming to be dedicated this morning, and celebrating little Max this morning is a whole lot of family. Um, we have uh, Kate's parents, Charlie and Catherine, are here, as well as Harrison's parents, Harvard and Charlene, um, and then Harrison's got some grandparents, Nadine Edwards, Harvard and Lee Kranzline, um, aunts and uncles, Hunter and Mandy Kranzline, Chase and Anna Lee Kranzline, and then some more family, grandparents, aunt and uncle are uh, watching on Kate's side via the live stream as well. So Max is well supported and well celebrated this morning. Um, this, the verse to read over Max, Psalm 37, 3 through 9. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And then, um, one of these things you may have noticed on stage, one of these things is not like the others. Um, and uh, number three in line, there's no babies. Um, but we are here, um, Jess and I, I actually, I'll, I'll join my spot in line here. Um, so, can I, excuse me, Jericho. So, we are coming, actually, um, Jess and I, to dedicate Jericho. Uh, many of you know uh, our story of adopting Jericho, and uh, he's been with us for a few years now at this point, um, but we never uh, participated in a service like this to actually dedicate him to the Lord. So though he is um, eight years old, we're here because, and this is something that I want the rest of you to hear, I believe that this is such an important thing to do in the presence of the church as a commitment from parents and from a family that if you, if your child is no longer an infant and you've never participated in a child dedication, um, it's okay if he's eight years old. Right, Jericho? I guess. <laughs> he said, I guess. Um, so, uh, but we're here, um, Jess and I, um, along with uh, little, uh, little sister Karis, big sister Eden, and uh, to dedicate Jericho Curtis uh, to the Lord. And Jericho's got some extended family here this morning, too. Grandparents Jerry and Candy Nelson are here, as well as um, Jericho's grandparents, Bert and Charlotte Poston, and two uncles, Kale and Seth Poston, are here uh, celebrating with him this morning as well. And then last in line here is Miss Jordan Ida Lane with his parents, Anthony and Celeste. And uh, they have, Jordan has some family here too. Um, Jordan has grandparents, Rick and Elaine Cobb, here to celebrate with her and her parents, as well as um, aunt and uncle, Miss Rika and Miss Rika Shepherd and Daniel Shepherd, um, Jordan's cousins, Judah and uh, Lottie, and Autumn, um, Aunt Autumn is here as well. So we are celebrating um, with Anthony and Celeste and dedicating Jordan before the Lord in their verses that they chose for Jer Jordan. Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And so now I'm going to actually ask AJ to take the next part of um, this service, and I'm going to join my family in line because what we do, as I said, we're going to, uh, AJ is going to ask some questions of us, and we're going to respond as, as parents, our four families together. He'll ask us some questions, and we will just simply answer, we will, in two questions. 
And then AJ's going to ask you as the church some questions, and you're going to commit and say, we will. So AJ, go ahead and lead us through this. All right. So parents, will you commit um, to raise your children in a way that encourages them to know God and to love him with all their heart, soul, and mind? Great. Parents, will you commit to partner with this body of believers by encouraging your children to engagement with other believers for teaching, encouragement, and service? All right, church, your turn. All right, y'all ready? All right, here we go. Church, will you commit to these parents to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them as they seek to fulfill their commitments to their children? Church, will you commit to these children to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them to know God, to love him, and to follow him? Amen. Now pray for us. Join us in prayer, and then AJ will pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity um, to join with uh, Will and Tricia and to pray over Liam this morning. Uh, we praise you for uh, bringing them into our uh, church family here and what we've seen from uh, Will, Tricia, and Liam. We praise you for the joy that we see in Liam's life and his fun-loving personality and how he uh, loves people so well. And God, we celebrate um, what you have done in his life. And we pray for, for him, that your hand would be upon him, that you would continue to bind up the brokenhearted and, and bind the wounds. And Father, we pray for Liam, this prayer, that he would be strong and courageous and that he would remember throughout his life, just as you have been with him in every step of his journey so far, that he would remember that you will go with him wherever he goes. And Father, for, for Max and Harrison and Kate, we, play, we pray your blessing. We pray that Max would grow to love you and know you, that he would trust in you and do good in accordance with Psalm 37.3, that he would delight himself in you and in your presence, and that you would give him the desires of his little heart. We pray for Harrison and Kate as they take this journey of parenthood and they seek to learn how to love Max well, how to teach and train him uh, to know you and to follow you in, in discipline. And, and God, we pray for your presence over them, that they would delight in your presence, they would delight in the son that you have gifted to them, and that you would bless this family, Father. And we thank you, we thank you for them. And God, for Anthony and Celeste and little Jordan, we do pray that you would walk with them through this journey of parenting, we pray that your plans for Anthony, Celeste, and Jordan would be so clear and that your plans for good, for hope, and a beautiful future would be clear to Jordan that she would come to know you, love you, and follow you with her young life. Strengthen Anthony and Celeste in this journey of parenting that they take on together. And Father, for all of these families, we pray for your strength over them over the marriages represented, over sibling relationships that exist now and those uh, future siblings that will come. We pray that we as a church would be supportive and that you would be blessing us with more and more children whose lives you've called us to steward well and point towards you. And God, we praise you for young lives in our church. And we pray that the young people of this church would love you and follow you, Father. Well, we thank you for Jericho. Um, and Lord, for the Cheney family. And God, we thank you, Lord, that, that every single kid up here, Lord, is a gift. And Jericho is a gift. And Lord, we thank you so much for him. Um, and God, as I just think about Jericho, Lord, I just thank you for the joy that he brings so many of us. God, just with his personality, um, and Lord, just with his jokes, and just the way that he just loves to see people smile, and to see people laugh, and just be happy. Lord, I thank you so much for just putting that in his heart. And God, I just pray that Lord, that you would just continue to bring that out. And Lord, I just pray for the gospel seeds that are sown in his life. Um, Lord, that you would bring those to fruition. And God, I pray that, Lord, that the word would just well richly in his life. Um, and God, and as I think about the scriptures that, that Tim and Jess had chosen for them, um, Lord, the Beatitudes, God, I just pray um, this for Jericho, Lord, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And Lord, I just pray that for Jericho, God, that you would just 
Lord, use him in great mighty ways along with all these children. But Lord, that with Jericho, God, that you would just allow him just to hunger and to thirst for you. And Lord, that you would satisfy him in all ways. And Lord, I just pray for, for Tim and Jess also, Lord, as they um, just continue to just to be parents and Lord, just to raise up all of their children. God, that you would just continue to give them the strength, um, God, just to continue to be intentional and just to love their children well, to be faithful, to raising them up. Lord, in your statutes. And God, I just pray, um, Lord, for them that you would just give them the strength to do all of it. Lord, for all of our parents here that are up here represented, God, um, Lord, as, as me and Carson just started this journey, God, we understand that this is one of the hardest and greatest endeavors that we're all going to um, take on. And God, I just thank you so much, um, Lord, that, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are higher than our ways. And God, I thank you so much for the church. I um, mean, God, I thank you so much for the body of believers, Lord, that you have made us a part of. Um, God, as we take on this task and as all of these parents take on this task, Lord, that, that as the church, Lord, that you would help us just to come alongside them and, Lord, just to help them. I, God, I pray that, that the commitments that we've made to them this morning, Lord, that we would follow through on those and that we would volunteer in places like our children's ministry, that we would volunteer and pour into these children that are coming up in the youth ministry, that as they get older and they graduate, go to college, and they're in our life groups, God, that we would just love them intentionally in every single area of life that they go through and in every single phase. And Lord, we just thank you so much for that. And so God, I just thank you for this celebration this morning. God, we thank you so much just for the excitement of young children. We thank you for, um, God, just allowing us to be able to hear them in the service when they're crying and when they're laughing and when they're singing. God, it's such an encouragement to all of us to just see the work that you're still doing. God, in the upcoming generations. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this morning, and we just thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Thank you all for your commitment and joining with us, partnering with us in that service. Um, I'll now dismiss the kids to go to their time of worship upstairs. So, parents, if you have um, checked in your kids, already you can send them to the lobby and they'll get with the right teachers and you can pick them up upstairs at the end of the service we are going to do another one of those services um, on October the 16th and so for families who were unable to participate um, this time around or maybe you, you didn't know what what it was and you wanted to see one before you committed to be a part of a, a child dedication or maybe you're like us and you didn't have it um, for a child at, as an infant and you're thinking, well, is he too old? Um, we'd love to talk to you about, about doing this. And we'll do it again on October 16th. And honestly, we, we will probably end up doing a third date too because of the number of families that have come forward about um, participating in this process together. Um, lots of stuff going on in the life and ministry of the church. Um, there is a financial series, a financial seminar that's again uh, being held this evening at 5.30 in this room behind me here. We call it the Backstage Cafe. Um, if you didn't sign up for that already, it's okay. You can still join us for, uh, for this evening. And we did actually video session one from last Sunday that's available on our YouTube channel if you want to check that out. And we can give you the notes from last week um, as well. Uh, but that's a three-week seminar, last Sunday, this Sunday, and then next Sunday. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. One of our elders, Larry Winter, is leading that. At the same time, uh, our youth are meeting at 530, and they'll meet in the downstairs of the Family Life Center there. And our kids' ministry is meeting um, uh, tonight, 530. All of it's basically the same. Everything starts at 530. So whether you want to go to the financial seminar kids ministry fifth grade and down youth ministry sixth grade and up there's something for everyone there's also um, one life group right now meeting on campus uh, this evening at the same time led by david and paul pasqua they'll meet in the the prayer room here in the in the main lobby and uh, we've got a number of other life groups if you are interested some of our life groups um, that meet regularly on sunday night have taken some time off for september as this financial seminar is is going on but we have uh, group on Thursday nights. We have a couple of groups that meet Sunday mornings before the service, um, and then we'll have some more that will uh, back. That when we get to October, they'll be back to meeting every Sunday night here on campus. So if you want some information about that, um, just send an email to the to the office, and we will get you the information you need. Um, and then on the 23rd, October 23rd, we will have a baptism service um, here in the service on Sunday. 
We'd love for you to be a part of that. If you have any questions about what baptism is all about, come and talk to me. Right now we'll have four people uh, participating in that. We have a new members lunch. We call it Fellowship 101. Immediately after the service today in that room right behind me, the Backstage Cafe, we've got a handful of families that are signed up for it. Um, but if you didn't sign up and you want to participate and you just have questions about the church, it's a great time to come and learn about the church and ask some questions. And if this is, even if it's your first Sunday here, and you're like, I, I don't know anything about this church. I just stumbled in here this morning. You're welcome to join us for lunch and uh, participate in that meeting. It is a necessary step to the membership process if you're ready to join as members. Uh, but you don't have to join as members just for coming to the lunch. So you're, you're welcome to that. Just come and find me down here after the service, and, and we'll get you set up in there uh, for, for the lunch immediately after the service today. Um, Additionally, we have a women's fall event that is um, September 24th, um, that's this Saturday, and so if you have not signed up for that, you can still sign up for that. There's a sign-up sheet um, right here at the table. We've kind of moved our sign-up sheets into this main room. We have so many people in and out of the lobby. We've got now a get involved table right here in the back of this room where you can sign up for events and activities there. So get the information you need for the women's event um, uh, there at that table. And uh, then I'll tell you as well, um, one of the things that we as elders have, have been talking about for a few months now is this realization that um, Fellowship Bible Church was founded, some of you might know this, some of you might not, in November of 1972, which makes November, I believe it's November the 12th, our 50th anniversary as a church. And as we prepare for that 50th anniversary, but we're, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to ask all of you to join us in a 50-day day prayer emphasis leading up to that 50, 50th anniversary. And we're going to, next Sunday would be day one, the Sunday the 25th of September, and we're going to give you a prayer guide that we're going to ask for you as a family or as an individual to go through daily as you pray for the various ministries of the church and for the work that God is doing and the work that we're going to ask God to do in our church over the next generation. However long this church continues to serve the kingdom of God until the Lord returns, we want to walk faithfully and continue to do the same thing that we've been doing, making disciples, preaching the gospel, and preaching the gospel to believer and unbeliever so that we can present people mature in Christ. And so we're going to keep doing that. We're going to pray for God to bless that over the next generation. And we want you, we want all of us to come together in prayer, in a special prayer initiative. So you'll um, be getting those prayer guides um, next Sunday, and then we'll kind of launch that with uh, Wednesday night of next week. We'll have a special uh, Wednesday night prayer service in this room that we would love for all of you to come to and be a part of praying together corporately, and we'll have some worship along with it. So be looking for information on that uh, next Sunday. Now, if you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We started here last week. We talked about the importance of the church, what we're trying to build here, and how relevant the message of the church is for us and for this generation. So this morning, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, just a few verses, verses 3 through 7. Paul says to Timothy, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, the issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without, either, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So there's a day that becomes a challenge in any uh, family life, and in the lives of parents in particular. I don't know what exact day it is in your family, but it's somewhere within the week after Christmas. Because here's what happens in every young family with children the week after Christmas. Christmas morning is amazing, right? The kids are full of joy. 
And we like to think that they're full of joy because of Jesus and the incarnation and, and everything wrapped up in the beauty of the gospel and how Christmas brings the incarnation, brings Jesus to us. But we all know that with young children, one of the things that they're most excited about is the stuff. And so in a young family, Christmas morning is awesome, it's joyful, you open up all the things, you start playing with all the things, but then there's a crisis point that comes, maybe it's that day, maybe it's a day later, maybe it's two days later, whenever it is for your family. But at some point, inevitably, your young child looks at you as a parent and says, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. I don't know what to play with. And you as a parent are like, what are you talking about? Look at all this stuff. It's brand new. We just got you this. You have been asking for this for months, and it's day two, and it's old. And, you know, depending on your parenting strategy, those reactions can range from passive-aggressive to openly-aggressive Maybe you're the parent that's going to say, oh, that's great, it's fine. I'm sure there's plenty of kids that would love to purchase your toys at the thrift store tomorrow. We'll just go ahead and take those there right now. Or maybe it's, it's the, how, how could you, how dare you not appreciate the toys that you just got? But if you're a parent of young kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you, if you're honest, you remember what it was like to be that kid that asked that question. And to have so much excitement at one moment and then just be like, huh, I don't know what to do now. It was just so fun, it was so busy, and then I don't know what to do. We as adults have to be honest with ourselves. We're prone towards the same things. We love new. We love shiny, fresh, brand new. It's one of the things that makes the Christian life a challenge. It makes a life of obedience a challenge is that we are drawn towards newness and we want the excitement of something new and shiny and fresh and the old gets boring. And the stuff that we already have, the things that we've already done, don't carry the same excitement that they once did. It's a challenge within the workplace. Maybe there's a job that once excited you because it was stimulating, it was challenging, it was exciting for you to face the challenges of this job every day. The new relationships in the workplace were exciting and then it just sort of gets old and it's monotonous and every day. And you start to think, maybe there's something new that I need. It's an incredible danger for relationships, for marriages and families. Because one of the challenges of marriage is that God has called us to one person for a lifetime. That's why we make vows because we're sinners and we're prone to look for something new and we're prone to get frustrated with the old. And God in his covenant of marriage provides provision for us to maintain those commitments. But one of the reasons that marriages go wrong is when one party starts to think, hmm, maybe I'm a little bored with this relationship. Maybe I need something new. There's more simple, less significant examples of when we all, not just as kids, but as adults, are yearning for something new. And what I'm going to tell you is that is the problem with the church in Ephesus here in 1 Timothy 3, or 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. You may not see it um, at the first read-through, but I hope you see it as we unpack this passage today, that the problem that Paul is facing with this young church is they know all the stuff. They heard all the basic stuff, but now they're pursuing speculations. They're pursuing more interesting stuff. The basics of the gospel were really powerful, foundational, and transformational at one stage. But now, they've heard that before. They've heard the basics before, and they want to learn something new. And this new doctrine that's stimulating their minds that's creating these debates and these interesting conversations is exactly what Paul is most concerned about in this whole letter. And so the occasion, the occasion for Paul writing this letter that we call 1 Timothy is this problem where there are people in Ephesus. Ephesus is this ancient city where Timothy is sent as Paul's representative to lead the church for a time to develop leaders that will be permanent leaders. 
So the elders that Timothy is equipping in Ephesus, they're the permanent pastors and leaders of the congregation. Timothy is there temporarily. But Timothy is there to make sure that those that are teaching false doctrine are exposed, confronted, and corrected. And that those that are there to teach good, right, true doctrine are well-equipped for the challenges that lie ahead. That's the message of 1 Timothy, building up the church in this one city of Ephesus for the next generation. That's what we're trying to do here. One of the things we've talked about preparing for the 50th anniversary is how do we equip and send out the next generation of leadership here at Fellowship Bible Church? One of the things that we have, as a church have been known for over many years is our emphasis in world missions and sending people out into the nations for the work of evangelism and discipleship. We want to continue to do that. We want a new generation of leadership in the church to invest in the Dalton community and to invest all around the world. And so we have the same questions Timothy has here. How do we confront false teaching? And how do we equip those that will lead in the truth? So the main idea for this morning is that the way that we love God is by avoiding this false teaching that's fascinated with the newness and stewarding the true gospel. Stewarding what is old, historic, but still relevant. And we do this with a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. We'll unpack this passage by looking at the charge, the command Paul gives to Timothy. We'll look at the nature of these false teachers that Paul's so worried about. And then we'll look at the aim, and we'll see that Paul is not just writing from what Paul wants to say, but Paul is inspired by the Spirit of God to speak not just to the church in Ephesus, but to the church in Dalton, Georgia, 2,000 years later. The charge that Paul gives to Timothy is, look at verse 3, as I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. So Paul is in the city of Macedonia, and he's talking to Timothy, and he's charging him, and he's urging him. This is an, uh, there is a desperation in Paul's command to Timothy. Timothy, th this is vital. This is urgent. You need to be at Ephesus. Why? Because Paul knows. One of the things I mentioned to you uh, last week was if you look at Acts chapter 20, you have some background for the book of 1 Timothy. So I'd encourage you, a couple times over the next month or so as we're looking at 1 Timothy, read through the book of 1 Timothy, read through 2 Timothy that's closely related, and read through Acts 20. Read the story of Ephesus in Acts 20 and see that Paul was concerned. When the church of Ephesus was only a few years old, Paul was concerned about the movement towards false doctrine in that church. So he's concerned in Acts 20, and he's concerned a few years later in 1 Timothy chapter 1. The word for charge is a military command. Paul is acting as the commander, commanding Timothy, who has served under him, whom Paul has mentored, this is urgent, you must do this. And you, Timothy, take authority. Take authority over these other leaders in the church so that they can be directed properly as well. Because, here's the stakes of the game. The stakes of the game are eternal. This is an eternally significant battle that Timothy and the other elders at Ephesus are engaged in. Because there are these, these, these warring messages that are being proclaimed to these young believers in Ephesus. And as young believers in Ephesus, they have not yet reached a level of discernment to truly understand exactly what's going on. What is different from this guy's message over here and this guy's message over here? This guy's speaking about the gospel. This guy is preaching the gospel from the Old Testament scriptures that were given to the Jews, and this guy is encouraging people towards a life of love. This guy over here, though, is saying that guy... He's been saying that same thing for, for years now. He's been saying, preach the gospel, love, make disciples, grow in righteousness, grow in holiness. But let's have a Bible study over here on these really interesting myths and genealogies that we can find hidden in the scriptures. And let's uncover some things that we've never thought about before. Let's have these, these in-depth conversations about this fascinating stuff that Paul describes as myths, 
genealogies, speculations. And so he's charging them with a level of urgency. Don't pursue that, pursue this. The nature of the false teaching, Paul calls them certain persons, okay? In verse 3, he says, Timothy, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Later in the book, Paul actually identifies two guys by name that are false teachers. At this stage, he doesn't identify anybody by name. He just says certain persons. And then later in the same passage, verse 6, so in verse 3 and verse 6 of the passage we're looking at today, Paul calls the false teachers, the misleading teachers, the innovative teachers. He calls them certain persons. And that tells us that Timothy knows exactly who they are, and Paul knows exactly who they are. Paul doesn't have to mention out these guys by name. Paul can mention what they're doing, and Timothy's going to know exactly who they're talking about. I think it's actually helpful for us that Paul does not always name names when he's talking about people that are teaching the wrong, the wrong things. Because if Paul named names all the way through, we could say in interpreting the verse 2,000 years later, well, that was a message that Paul was giving to that church at that time, and there were these two guys, and they were the problem. But to, for Paul to just say generally, there are certain teachers in your church that are a problem, it, that makes it a universal message for, for every church to carefully discern. We need to make sure who are those within our society, within the greater church culture, not just within Fellowship Bible Church, but within the greater church culture, because we have a really unique setting here in the 21st century church. We are influenced not just by the teaching that remains within our own church, but teaching that happens anywhere else out in society. And there's some really good things about that. I told you a few months ago, I love to hear that people are coming to me and, and sharing uh, sermons and messages they hear from, from other churches, some in town, some outside of this community. We are blessed. We have more access. Hear me. We have more access in our generation to good Bible teaching than any previous generation. But hear this too. We also have more access to false teaching than any other generation. And if you've ever looked online for some Bible teaching, if you've ever looked for an answer to a difficult question you have about, about what the Bible says or about, about a, a particular passage or something like that, you know how hard it is to discern between good and true teaching and misleading teaching. And there's all sorts of stuff out there. And so the challenge for us is not just who is opening the Bible to talk about it in the church. The challenge for us is how do we discern the, the culture of general Christianity out in our society, the stuff we hear online, the stuff that we hear from, from our friends' churches, and what do we celebrate? Because guys, hear me, there's so much that we celebrate that other churches are doing. There are great churches in our community, and we are blessed as a community with gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches in every corner of our community. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate what other churches are doing. And we don't draw the line of doctrine so tight <clears throat> that we're the only ones that fit in it, and we get to the point where we're a church at war with all the other churches in town. That is not helpful. That does not build the kingdom. It doesn't, it doesn't help the community at all when we say we're the only ones that get it right, and those people are messed up over there. We want to celebrate what other churches are doing, but we want to be clear about what the truth is. So the nature of the false teaching here is instructive. Uh, Paul says in verse 3 that the false teachers taught different doctrine. He says, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So whatever they were teaching, it was different. Y'all, doctrine sounds like an intimidating word, and it's just not. All the word doctrine means is a set of teaching. And so you, you all understand something about what the Bible says, and so you all know doctrine. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that's a doctrine that you, don't, that you know. So don't act like doctrine is so intimidating. Doctrine is just the teaching of Scripture. So, but these false teachers were teaching things that contrasted with what was the clear teaching of Paul the Apostles in the Word. They devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies in verse 4. And they promoted speculations in verse 4. So this is where I think what Paul is emphasizing is the newness, the speculative 
nature of their teaching is what was so dangerous. They were not satisfied with preaching Christ and Him crucified, which is what Paul said he endeavored to do in his time with the church in Corinth. I endeavored to preach Christ and Him crucified. And what Paul is saying in that statement is what matters most what is universal as a need, what everyone needs to hear is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. He died for you. He was crucified as a payment for sin. He rose again so that you might receive new life in him. That's the message everybody needs to hear. But what Paul is saying is in this promotion of speculation, there were people that got bored with that old basic message and they were looking for other stuff. And as we study through 1 Timothy, we'll see that some of the false teaching is probably influenced by offshoots of Judaism. Some of it was probably focused on, on uh, passages of, of the Old Testament that they found fascinating, that they sort of went in different directions on. Some of it was influenced by the, the Greek and Roman culture of the day. But whatever it was, it was wandering into myths and speculations things that we don't know and we don't have the truth on, they were arguing and debating just for fun. And you should know, too, this was actually the Greek culture of the day. Part of the culture of the, of the early Greek debates was you, you get a public forum and you debate these complex issues and you sort of debate it just for, for a, an interesting conversation. And, and, and what he is seeing as a problem in Ephesus is that these speculations have turned into vain discussions in verse 6. They have wandered into vain discussion. Uh, vain, that means that they're, they're prideful and wasteful in their conversations. They're just trying to prove who's smarter. They're just trying to prove who has the better argument. And they're not actually profiting the church or people's lives in the conversations they're having. Have you ever been in that context where you're, you're watching a debate and you're watching two people that have very little to gain or lose from the debate and they're just arguing about it and you're like guys why does this matter why does this matter to our day-to-day -day lives to the practical application of what we're doing that's what the church in Ephesus was doing and that's what Paul was worried about it you had too many people in verse 7 that wanted to be teachers without having done the work to be teachers they desired to be teachers of the law but had no idea what the law was actually saying, and they had no idea what about the things that they were making confident assertions about. Pride was the issue. Boredom with the old simple message and pride, I'm so smart, I, I, can, I can really communicate well, I can debate well. And there's a real challenge for us in here. We too have a danger within our society and within the, the church of Jesus Christ in our day, we have a danger of getting bored with the basics and wandering off into the same kind of vain discussions. And Paul is here warning us because he's, he's contrasting two things here in verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. Sorry, it's verse 4. The myths and endless genealogies promote speculations rather than stewardship. That's the contrast of this passage, speculations and stewardship. Speculative doctrine is looking for something fun and new to discuss that you're not really sure about, but let's debate it and let's try to find an answer. Stewardship is a protective teaching. As a steward, you take something that doesn't belong to you and you protect it. The, the word in the New Testament is most often used by Jesus. Nobody uses the word for stewardship more than Jesus did. And Jesus tells a lot of stories about stewards. And stewards, in his parables, are those that manage property for somebody else. So we as Christians are called to be stewards of what belongs to God, including what God has said about himself, the teaching, the doctrine that doesn't belong to us. It's renewed our lives, it's transformed our lives, it's made us something different, but it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. And when I say that, I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't apply. It clearly applies. But it's God's, and we can't change it. Speculative doctrine finds new and innovative things to say and talk about. Stewarding 
is protecting what God has said and saying nothing else matters more than what God has said and what we confidently know about the gospel. Stewardship protects what is there. Speculation finds something new, something that can innovate. One of the things that churches do along these lines is they seek to market themselves as doing something new, different. We're a new church. We're a fresh church. Maybe you've heard a church say, we're not your grandma's church. We do it differently here. Some of that is, is well-intentioned to say, you, you don't, we don't have to do things in the same style as the way the church did it a generation ago, two generations ago, whatever. But guys, hear me on this. Though the church can innovate in some of the music that we play and the way we build our buildings and the way we dress when we come to services, I'm not wearing a robe and you're never going to see me wearing a robe. So, so that's, that's okay. It's okay to not wear robes as a church. But let me tell you something. In another sense, we are your grandmother's church because we preach the same gospel. And not only that, we're older than that. We preach the same message that Paul preached 2,000 years ago. And we preach the message that is built off of what Jesus' ministry was 2,000 years ago. And so with that in mind, to say we're like your grandmother's church, no, 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 guys, we're way older than that. We're way more out of touch than that. We go back 2,000 years in the things that we do. We want to do what Paul did, and we want to do what the early church fathers did. We care about what Augustine said and Chrysostom said, and we care about the reformers, what Calvin and Luther said. We care about the whole 2,000 years worth of message of the church. We ain't trying to do something new that nobody's done before. We're trying to do what God has called the church to do for the last 2,000 years. That's what we do as a church. And so, I'm not hating on those churches that say we're not, our, we're not your grandmother's church. I'm not hating on those churches that says we're going to do something new. As long as we know what we mean by that, what is new and what is not new, by all means, let's write new songs. Let's make sure they're good. And let's make sure those new songs proclaim that old message. And by all means, let's build new buildings and we don't all have to look like a thousand-year-old cathedral. But make sure that that building that you dedicate to a church is preaching that message that has been preached for 2,000 years. Christ and Him crucified. New is not bad, but innovation is not the goal of the church. And listen, we're a manufacturing town. Lots of you guys, I mean, men, women, all of you out there in your jobs, what you do is you want to be the best in your career and you want to make your company, your industry, your business the best. And what you do in your business is you're trying to be innovative. You're trying to do something that somebody else isn't doing, something that hasn't been done before, and I get that, and that is the right thing for us to do in the business world, in the manufacturing world, whatever industry you're in. But we as a church have to be careful about our innovations because one of the things that Paul is criticizing here is innovation. We innovate the means to deliver the message that we don't innovate. So I'm all for live streaming. I'm all for, for new technologies. I'm all for using the internet, using modern technology to present the message to people in a new way. But it's the same message. So this is the, the, this is the, the balance that the church has to find here. We want to be new. And we want to be super old at the same time. That's who we are. That's what the church is built on. The myths that, that Paul is talking about here, there's a possibility. Some of you might have heard one of the big contexts in the um, background of the New Testament is this movement called Gnosticism. And it's possible that this was sort of an early form of Gnosticism. This wasn't full-blown Gnosticism in Ephesus here that Paul is talking to Timothy about. But what Gnosticism was, was there was this, it was this hierarchy, this, this belief system that was built off of the most significant people are those that are most um, informed, most knowledgeable, and they get to the point of this secret knowledge that nobody else can quite handle. But the elite of the elite, they understand things that other people don't. 
and we're all trying to get, grasp this secret knowledge. That is contrary to the gospel because the whole message of Christianity is that the child, the child can get the secret knowledge. That there's no secrets here. It's not this secret hidden knowledge that you have to be in the church for a, a long period of time and once you reach this stage and this stage and this stage and this stage, then we let you know the real secret truth. No, no, no. We tell the five-year-olds the most important stuff. And as you learn, what we want to see you do is we want to see you represent the life that that message asks for, that that message calls for. But we're not bringing to you any new messages along the way. We're bringing to you the core of what the gospel says, and we're applying it to every part of the scriptures. So what I'm not saying is you can't learn anything new as you grow in a Christian. That's not, no, no, no. We want you to grow and learn something new. And, and that's why we preach not just 1 Timothy or not just the gospels, but we preach all of the scriptures. But see, when I preached Lamentations earlier this year, I preached Lamentations because it's inspired scripture, it's a section of scripture not many people know something about. And what it does is it paints the old gospel in a new perspective that maybe some of us have. It, it doesn't give you information on what the secret of the gospel is that the gospel of the New Testament doesn't present. Lamentation gives you a way of understanding how Christ speaks in the gospel to those that are suffering and hurting and lamenting in pain. So by all means, study Lamentations, study Ecclesiastes, study Exodus, so that we can see the beauty of the gospel truth in those passages. We're not innovating a new message, we're applying an old message to new information and new challenges that we face within our generation. Next week, as we go through this passage more, verses 8 through 11, talk about the law. Because one of the other things we know about this false teaching is that it's somehow based in the Old Testament law. Something about the Old Testament law they missed and misapplied. And so next week, what the passage gives us in verses 8 through 11 of the same chapter is what is the purpose of the law? Is there, is there a purpose of the Old Testament law for the New Testament believer? That's the question of the passage for, for next week, and that's where we'll go. But here's the aim of it all. Central truth, practical truth. The aim of what Paul is saying here is love. That's what he says. And so don't think that Paul is just being super combative in this passage. Paul doesn't have rivals that he's trying to defeat and embarrass. Don't read into what Paul is saying here, this, this made-up context that, well, Paul is on this theological team and there's somebody else on this theological team and he's trying to get Timothy to embarrass his theological opponent so that Paul can be the winner. That's not what's happening. Paul is not motivated by rivalry. Paul is not motivated by the desire to defeat or embarrass anybody. Paul is motivated in his charge. The aim of the charge is love. Love for God love for Timothy, love for the church in Ephesus, and love for the false teachers. Correcting a false teacher is a loving thing to do because those false teachers were, were, they were misled themselves. They misunderstood the way of Christ themselves. But the, the practical application of this verse, of this passage is so incredibly simple. What is your aim as a Christian? Maybe that's your question to ask yourself. What is your aim? Paul's aim is love, verse 5, that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. When we love God, we love his people, we love his word, and we hear his voice speaking to us through his word. That's the goal here. When Paul says pure heart, what he is addressing here is that the speculative teachers were looking in their own vanity to be noticed and followed. And that's not the goal of a preacher or a teacher. If you see a preacher or teacher that wants to build a platform for themselves, for their own notoriety, that is not the right goal. Preaching, teaching should be motivated by a pure heart. A pure heart is greater in the kingdom of God than innovative ideas. 
The pure-hearted Christian is focused more on what is true and how to build up others with the truth than to gain a following for themselves and to catch other people's attention with new and innovative ideas. We as a church don't seek attention. We seek mature growth so that the nations can be discipled. A good conscience, this is about doing right things for the right reasons. Some people do right things for the wrong reasons. We've all seen it. And over time, it becomes clear. That's where the church is, is criticized of hypocrisy, preaching things that we don't live out. And sometimes in Ephesus and in, in our society too, there are speakers who seem to say the right thing, preachers and teachers and influential Christians that, that do not live out what they are presenting to others. And what Paul is calling for here and what he will call through throughout the book is your life, your character, must represent your message. And that's a call for leaders of the church. It's a call for members of the church. We need to pursue a life that honors the doctrine we believe. The Christian life is hard. Pursuing righteousness is hard. You will be called a hypocrite as a believer. I had a, a high school student last week ask me, is it hard to be a pastor and to know that people are like watching you and watching your behavior? And he actually asked the question, have you ever like come out of a movie and been like, ooh, I hope a church member doesn't see me going out of the movie theater and like know what movie I watched? And said, honestly, that's not, I don't go see a lot of movies and that one's not actually a concern for me. But it was a question early, early on for both Jess and I. We know if you put yourself in a leadership position as a, as a church leader, you're going to be watched carefully. And some of that is good and right because my message should reflect my life. But at the same time, it, it can be challenging. But what Paul says in a good conscience is that I should be more worried about what God the Father thinks of my actions behind closed doors than I should be about what the church sees in my actions behind closed doors. And so if my actions would offend a church member, if the church member knew about it, I need to be more concerned about what God says and not what that church member says. And that's a lesson for all of us, that a good conscience is greater than practicing righteousness before men which is what the Pharisees did. And finally, a sincere faith. A sincere faith is better than the exciting activities and exciting events um, built around um, just growing the excitement of a local church. We want to meet, move people towards maturity through the word in community. Maturity through the word in community. So a sincere faith is greater than the excitement that the world finds so alluring. We're not gonna overload a bunch of activities just to make people excited about who we are and what we're doing. We want people to be excited about real heart transformation and real truth. So, we're gonna, we're gonna land it this way and ask what are our next steps? Because ultimately what we wanna do is we wanna all walk out of here something with something practical to do and respond to out of what God's word has said. So I'm going to ask you a question. What is the message that excites you the most? Are you at the stage of your life with Christ that you're just bored with the basics? Because I'll tell you what you do when you're bored with the basics. You remind yourselves of the basics and you go find somebody else to tell about the basics. Because there's somebody out there that's following the way of the world, that needs that basic message of the gospel of Christ. Hear from some of our own missionaries or other missionaries, other frontline missions throughout the world that are actually preaching the gospel to those that have never heard it and hear the excitement that comes when that basic message is delivered to somebody that has that initial aha moment and they believe and respond for the very first time time. The basics are not boring. The basics are the lifeblood, are the fuel of the church. And by the basics, I mean the gospel. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we continue to reflect on this. What we do as a church is we live the gospel, we love the gospel, and we preach the gospel. And so I'll say it this way as an application for all of us this morning. Seek to in your life, live the basics. If the basic message is that Jesus Christ has come 
to bring salvation to a lost world and to die so that we could be made new, then ask yourself, am I living in a way that's new? Am I living in a way that is different? Am I living out the righteousness of Christ every day? The first step towards not being bored with the basics is actually try to live it out in a real way. And steward the basics, number two. Protect that gospel message and present it to others. Brothers and sisters, if you live the basics, if you steward the basics, remind yourselves of that basic message of the gospel of Jesus every day, then you will grow to love the basics. And you'll see the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every passage you read in your quiet time. And you'll see how the gospel of Christ and him crucified speaks into the book of Psalms, speaks into the book of 1 Timothy, speaks into the revelation of the end that we see Christ coming in all victory and it should excite us for that coming day. So let's join together. We'll live, we'll steward, we'll love that gospel message together. And as we go out today, look Eyes up, eyes open. What's God going to call you to this week? And not just what, but who. The kingdom of God is about God's people transformed by him. Who might he call you to that needs the message of the basics? Let's stand. We'll sing together.
send us out now, Father. We've gathered to hear from you, to celebrate you, and to declare that we want you to receive the glory in our lives. Now receive the glory in our lives Monday through Saturday. As we go, we present the gospel to others. We live a life that honors you. We seek to present everyone to you in maturity. Keep us. Protect us. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you.